What is up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Serving up the latest Everton news and stateside views. Let's kick things off. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Hope you're all having a fantastic week thus far. So tonight we're going to do the show a little bit differently. We're going to do two segments. So the first segment, we're going to talk about um, Andre Gomez had some co- comments about the club and, and Everton FC posted an article about it earlier. We're going to talk about Michael Keane and apparently a horrific foot injury from last season. And then lastly, in the first segment, we're going to talk about Kevin Morales. Uh, he had some comments this last week as well um, that are, you know, that are that are pretty eye opening. So to start it off, Andre Gomez was talking to the club and mentioned that he had a lot of different offers, you know, over the summer. And he spoke to Marco Silva a couple times. And, you know, one of the main factors he decided he wanted to sign for Everton was because Marco Silva showed a lot of confidence in him, which obviously he's been low or he was low on, you know, at at Barcelona, right, James? Yeah, obviously he had a, a a poor time at Barcelona. He spoke in the past to, you know, publications about that, how he thought it was a kind of hell playing for them. And he seems to have been, become rejuvenated under Marco Silva. Uh, this is a place, we've said this previously, that players feel that they can make a next step in their career. And um, so he did speak about Marco Silva's influence and in, in every signing that we've made so far this season has spoken highly of Marco Silva in the conversations that he's had with players before signing. He also said that he spoke with Phil Neville uh, because of their connection through Valencia. He spoke to Luca Dean. Um, obviously they were teammates at Barcelona. And um, so they had that relationship. Um, and he throughout the piece and he just talks about how, excited everyone is about the team how talented the team is the players want to work the attitude surrounding he says against brighton we will play in front of our fans in the stadium so we want to do well it's normal to have a bit of pressure and we are ready you know it's it's a pretty standard club interview but it's all the right things again and and promising it just shows how far we've come as a club uh since last season in my opinion, it's we're miles apart. The optimism, the joy that players seem to have in being at Everton, especially the new players as they've come in, uh, is really awesome to see. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I mean, speaking of miles, so Andre Gomez actually covered the most, um, the most space on the pitch last weekend against Man United. He covered eight miles of ground. That was a great segue. Eighty-nine percent. Pass accuracy as well, and so he. I thought he was really impressive. You know, from what I understand, um, a lot of his issues at Barcelona was that he was being played as like a left midfielder, and you know, he's not quick enough to be playing as uh, as a as a left. You know, as an outside midfielder, whether that's an outside midfielder or a winger. Um, knowing Barcelona's style, I would assume he would. You know, it would have been a winger. He's not quick enough. Um, he definitely excels in the middle of the pitch. So understand what he's talking about. And I'm really happy that he feels that way. There's no clause, you know, there's no buy buy back or buyout clause at the end of the loan. But, you know, I think I speak for everyone when I say that we're hoping that he will, you know, or maybe we can swing it somehow. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, small sample size, obvious, of course, of course, um, only two games in, but just what he's shown in that, that two game span is so amazing. He looks exactly like he fits what we've needed uh, for a long, long time. His ability on the ball, that little clip that went viral of him, you know, running away from Pogba, the, the acceleration he shows, the control, uh, he does a neat little outside of the foot flick out wide, just the type of cleverness that we haven't had in a long time, the type of thing that Tom Davies doesn't really offer you, that uh, Adrisa Ganage doesn't offer you, that Morgan Schneiderlin most certainly does not offer you. Uh, kind of the hybrid between the attacking midfielder, a true center of the park, center of the field midfielder. Um, and this is the quote that stood out to me the most um, in the piece. He said, it was easy for me to settle in. These boys here are amazing. The spirit and the way you feel like part of a family is really important. And all the boys here and the staff at Everton are amazing. And the fans too, the way they receive you is great. Uh, just the type of stuff that we love to see from the players. And, and in, in some sense, I imagine it's probably him trying to say all the right things. Um, but in some way it feels different than when players have done that in the past. Like when they spoke about Sam Allardyce, maybe it was just the fans perception, but it never really felt authentic. It felt like kind of just doing, you know, making the rounds, doing what you have to say publicly, even though there might be inner turmoil. I wonder what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it feels good in terms of, in terms of what players are saying, it feels pretty genuine. You can tell on the pitch that players are enjoying themselves, specifically Sigurdsson um, and obviously Gomez. And so it's, it's exciting to see. It's nice to have a man manager back because, you know, we had one in, in Roberto Martinez, although yeah. everything was phenomenal, including Ross Barkley when he wasn't. <laughs> everything <laughs> um, was, yeah. But we all know his downfalls. Then you get Ronald Koeman, who is the exact opposite. Um, and we saw why and how that ended. And so now, you know, you hope that Marcus Silva is obviously a fantastic man manager, um, but we need to see, you know, we need to continue to see the, you know, the results on the pitch. Yeah, I, and hopefully we will moving forward. I, I just, all the signs are pointing up right now and it's very encouraging, including for Michael Keane after apparently out of the blue revealing that he had almost had his foot amputated last season which is kind of outrageous um, considering all of the negativity surrounding him last season, because to be fair, he played poorly and then it comes out kind of abruptly and out of nowhere, kind of, it just seems kind of late to me and weird timing for it to come out now, rather than like at the end of the season last season. Uh, but it kind of explains a lot, a lot of course for his, his slump in form last season. Yeah. So apparently he took, um, a kind of a studs up tackle on the pitch and it ended up ripping a hole in his boot. Um, so he goes, you know, he goes in at halftime realizes that it hurts and it sucks, but you know, what are you going to do? I want to keep playing. Like that's not what I'm focused on. Right. Which is pretty easy to do when you're, when you're, when you've got your adrenaline pumping and, and you really want to get back out there. And then he said after the match, he, you know, he takes his boot off and there was a ton of blood and he, he knew something was wrong. So, you know, he was out with a foot injury after that match. I can't remember who it was playing, who we were playing against. Um, and, you know, he was out for a good while, comes back, and then, you know, he had an issue again. And so all last season, all the fans were all over him because if we're going to be honest, right, like 
specifically they would talk about how slow he was in moving, like turning and and pivoting and that sort of thing. You know, it comes out that he had a terrible foot injury that wouldn't, you know, essentially leave him alone. The trainers let him play or said that he was good to go. And then, you know, you know, come to find out the swelling was so bad that if it, if it had continued um, for a little bit longer, they could have like had to amputate his foot. So now, now we see the resurgence of Michael Keane and, and how well he's playing this season, like consistently. Right. And it makes a whole lot of sense. It really doesn't. It's, this is what everyone expected from him last season to kind of come in and light things up because we did pay 30 million for him. So it wasn't some, it was like, this is a pre- premier Premier League defender, uh, which, you know, repeating myself, but this was a, this is a guy who's played for every national team in England, you know, through the youth groups up through, uh, you know, throughout his, you know, life so far as a, as an England player. So the last season just kind of stuck out as an anomaly and people were saying, well, you know, he played in a very defensive system at Burnley. This is where he thrives. But the fact of the matter is he's a very, very good football player. Um, and last season I think is going to, you know, as we go forward is going to, we're going to look back on it as more of an anomaly than, you know, the type of career that, because he has a ton of potential and it's really good to see a player that a lot of people wrote off because so many of our signings last season were complete whiffs and we failed on every count, you know, in the last season, save Jordan Pickford, who was an amazing buy. And now it's looking like Michael Keane is going to be a fantastic player as well. Yeah, I agree. And long may it continue. Luckily, if any season was going to be an injury scare season for Michael Keane, I'm glad it was last season because uh, the rest of the squad, from what I understand, you know, didn't have any anywhere near as, as um, a big of an issue as Michael Keane did, and they played yeah. just as bad. So, um, <laughs> so uh, as long as it was last season. Um, moving on to Kevin Morales, you know, he opened up to the media about about you know Everton and and being or, or being loaned out now and how he kind of sees the club. Um, how did you take his comments? Uh, it was really interesting. It was, I think the, the initial knee-jerk reaction is because of his popularity has you know, dwindled after his change in attitude over the course of his Everton tenure. Uh, but I think what a lot of he, a lot of the things he brings up is are very fair although biased, of course, in his favor. But he kind of just comes across as a player who really did enjoy his being at the club. And, I mean, I don't know if it's playing the victim necessarily, but he says, you know, I could have turned down a deal. I could have, you know, accepted deals. I could have gone elsewhere, but I didn't. He said, I didn't want to leave Everton like a thief after all they'd given me. So it sounds like he was you know, loyal to the club. Unfortunately, his behavior on the pitch really kind of – made a lot of people sour on him generally. But when we first signed him for a long time, he was a very quality winger for us and gave us a lot of options and spaces that we didn't have uh, and gave us stuff that we, that we didn't have in any other player. And when I remember when we first signed him was kind of when I was first becoming an Everton fan. And I saw it was like a YouTube compilation that called him the Belgian Ronaldo. And I was (laughs) just like, Oh my God, look at this player we've signed and, you know, doing the step overs, all that stuff. And for a while, he was that, not that, you know, Ronaldo tier, but he was the type of winger that, that was clever and could do a lot of tricks and agility. And then that just sort of faded away. And the 
infamous penalty incident will live on, probably be the defining moment of his career, in my opinion. I agree. We talked about it previously, but Kevin Morales was one of my favorite players. Like he, he felt so exciting to watch, although, you know, he was always inconsistent, right? Like on paper in terms of his, his production, you know, he, he was never consistent um, in the premier league, you know, for Everton. But, you know, I think the, the biggest part of the interview that kind of struck me was he talked about, this the uh, the summer with with Steve Walsh and Ronald Koeman, right when they went out and bought all the players, um, and he said that they he said that um, Ross Barkley, you know, he he saw Ross Barkley wasn't going to sign a new contract, and they kind of used Ross as an example, and they went out and they bought you know Klassen, the uh, the first number ten, and then Sigurdsson came in, and then they bought wingers. And he said, you know, we all just looked around at each other confused. He said, you know, essentially verbatim, Romelu Lukaku was the one that needed replacing and they didn't do that, but they signed a bunch of midfielders, right? <laughs> and, you know, he's not wrong, but the way it came out was that, you know, everyone was was pretty annoyed that they went out and did that. And then he he ends up saying that, at that point, Everton turned from feeling like a family to a business. So the way that makes me feel kind of initially is, well, you know, that, that kind of that sucks to hear. But at the same time, yeah, I feel like it's kind of bitter because you weren't good enough, obviously, to compete. And you didn't like the fact that we brought in more competition when, generally speaking, his place, if he was fit, was pretty safe um previously and then on top of that you know if if you don't have that type of competition in the squad then being a family is great and all but then like how do you how do you sustain how do you sustain sustain yourself how do you keep yourself up even in the premier league you know with with how some of these clubs like wolves and fulham um were able to kind of uh spend and and secure the type of players they have so it's kind of a catch twenty two, but I think I think a lot of it was pretty bitter. That's interesting. I mean, I I agree with that in part, but I also think that it speaks to the woeful inadequacy of Steve Walsh as a director of football overall. Because while he, we did bring in additional competition for him, we still didn't address the main need of the squad in the transfer windows, uh, and the fact that it felt more like a business is kind of just a testament to the attitudes of Ronald Koeman and Steve Walsh towards the players. I don't think there was ever any sort of culture that was being built behind the scenes. Uh, it, w- the thing is, we don't have very much visibility, and we haven't heard many stories about Steve Walsh in particular. Uh, we know what Ronald Koeman was from what he's done and as far as interactions with the press. The stories that have come out, uh, we know what type of person he is, but Steve Walsh has been very much you know, behind the wizard of Oz type scenario where he was kind of supposedly running, pulling all the strings behind the scenes, but we never really heard much from him. And I don't think that he had the ability to kind of connect with the players and the way that we went about the whole transfer window was just completely haphazard. We didn't address any of the real needs that we had as in, you know, a left back and a striker were our main two priorities. And we go out and sign three, you know, center attacking midfielders. So, that's all we all know that at this point, but I think it does in some 
in some sense kind of ring familiar to what Wayne Rooney has said since leaving, uh, which is obviously under two different regimes. But at the same time, I just think that the way things are going now, um, the way the players are speaking about the club, I think this is a place where players want to come and play now, whereas before we were more of a, uh, we're kind of just souring, destroying the attitudes and the will to play. It wasn't fun for players to show up for training. Moving on to segment number two, right? The Brighton pre-match. So overall, we have six wins, five draws, and two losses against Brighton. That spans back, um, these stats, I think, uh, back to, I want to say the 20s, if I remember the stats page correctly. Um, Brighton's last win against us came in 1982, which is insane. That's crazy. So talking in terms of the table, right? They're 11th in the league with 14 points compared to our ninth with 15 points. So whether we like it or not, whether we really see ourselves as, as worthy of ninth place, we are direct competitors at the moment. And it's, it's one of the more important matches that we take points from. They are, however, on a three match win streak. Um, now some of their, some of their main players, Pascal Gross and Davy Proper out with injuries, which is which is definitely good for us. Um, but Glenn Murray has six goals this season. I, our highest is is Richardson with four, right? Yeah, Glenn Murray has looked very good in the the small amount that I've seen of him this season. He seems to always uh, be in the right places at the right time. Not the fastest, but a hard worker. Uh, that being said, I mean I I just don't really see a way that there's no way that we should lose this, lose this game. And if we lose this game, it's going to be a big problem in my opinion. Right. I, I agree. So I think the way they set up and how, how they're going to approach the match, how they approach pretty much all matches is a big positive for us. So Brighton set up in a, in a flat four, four, one, one with Glenn Murray up top. So this tells you right off the bat, and especially with Glenn Murray up top, right? They're not going to be attacking with pace, okay? Which is good because Everton play a high line, as we know, and the way you exploit that is with a lot of pace getting in behind. We saw it last weekend, time after time, uh, with Rashford trying to make diagonal runs. So what I see being the main issue, the main thing that Everton need to look out for are, are the late runs into the box and then dealing with Glenn Murray's strength. Yeah, I I fully expect them to come and sit in and look to play for a point the entire game. Uh, thus far this season, we have struggled to beat teams when they do that to us. Uh, so it's going to be, the lineup will be interesting to see. We're at home, so we really need to kind of just come out on, on top and just dominate the game from the get-go and not let them get any kind of footing in the game. Uh, we should be at their you know press all day, keep them under pressure, do not let them get any kind of counterattack. We should be overwhelming them. Hopefully the crowd can get behind the team. Um, but again, like we've struggled against, we couldn't do it uh, against West Ham. We got roasted on the counter at home. Um, so it's 
we haven't, it's been hard for us to break down teams uh, when they look to, at home, we've done much better when away and on the counterattack. That's fair. It, 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 it'll, uh, it'll be interesting. I will say though, you know, we didn't have Andre Gomez, right. With those, with those fantastic long balls. Sigurdsson wasn't quite in form since we've played a team like that. Um, and I think confidence is, is at an all time high. So I feel, I, I feel really confident about the match, especially being at home. So speaking of, you know, in terms of the back line, can we agree that it'll probably be unchanged? Pickford and the back line, right? I am sort of thinking that Yeri Mina might come in uh, at this point. That's a hot take. I think that if you don't put him in now with the with the games that we have upcoming, it's going to become increasingly difficult to get him in the team. And you'd have to assume that if we're looking at the long term this season, not expecting to win anything, even though we still have the FA Cup, we're certainly not going to win the league. We'll probably finish between 7th and 10th. And so it's like, if we are not confident that we can sign Kurt Zuma on a full deal, then, you know, full-time arrangement, then why are we going to let our $25 million center back sit on the bench? I feel that. I I guess the argument is only that they've forged quite a good partnership, but... I did see. I did see that we have Chelsea away coming up. Um, Kurt Zuma won't be able to play in that match, right? Because you can't play against your your parent club, right? So it it could make a lot of sense to do that to give Yerry Mina some time now, give him a match before we you know go away to Chelsea <laughs> and we- throw him into the deep end. Because whether we like it or not, Chelsea looks quite good this season again. Um, so, so then, then this brings me to another point, right? I've seen a lot of people fuming about Seamus Coleman. So, you know, I, I've seen it plenty of times posted on Twitter, you know, polls. Do we think John Joe Kenny should, um, start over Seamus Coleman? What do you think, James? I'm willing to give Coleman time personally. He hasn't looked very good so far this season, but it's, he was injured. He came back from the injury last season and then he picked up another different injury, which kept him out and let John John Joe Kenny in the team. The thing is that so regardless, and I think we should give Coleman at least a couple more matches. If he gets exposed versus Chelsea, I say it's time to give John Joe a look. But at this point, I think he is the by far more experienced. He has the highest ceiling, you know, this season, the highest ceiling. John Joe in the future is going to be our right back. I'm convinced for the long term but oh, i think started up again i think coleman really does have still a season or two left the injuries are a concern he hasn't looked the pl- he's i don't think he'll ever look the player he was before his injuries but if he can reach 95 percent of that 90 percent of that he's still a top tier right back in the premier league in my opinion yeah that's fair i think we can agree that that Coleman should should con- continue uh, to keep his place for a couple matches. Because the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, this season when I see John Joe Kenny play, I don't see him progressing ever, if that makes sense. I see him playing, but it feels like the exact same level week after week. Um, so I think that it's healthy 
for them to kind of be battling it out, um, specifically having these kind of waves of, you know, Coleman starting, Kenny starting, Coleman starting. So we'll see how, how it turns out. But with experience, as you mentioned, that'll help him kind of dig himself out of out of a hole that he seems to be in. So hmm. midfield, right? Ghana, Gomez, Sigurdsson, can't argue with that. 100%. Unchanged. That's going to stay the same. Give Gomez, continue to build the momentum. I think he could absolutely shred their defense. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, the relationship, continue to build those relationships. And I think just to briefly, you know, the the center back partnership is good because you get those games under your belt and you start to build those relationships. And we want to have the midfield start to do the same thing. There's no better three right now, in my opinion, than Ghana, Sigurdsson, and, and Gomez. And I think Gomez, this will be a test for us to see if we can unlock a team if he's the key is he the the right key to unlock you know the type of the type of soccer that we've been trying to play uh all season against a team the teams that we should beat the teams that won't that we're expecting to see most of the ball um because again we've struggled so yeah unchanged midfield for me okay so this is where it gets fun james i'm I'm, i've been waiting all day to debate you on let's go on what we think the front three is going to be I've seen on Twitter, everyone, you know, has different, different expectations, different opinions on it. Um, I think at this point, with the last couple of matches, there are a lot of different arguments that could be made. So instead of giving you the uh, first opportunity, I'm going to go ahead. Thief! So, <laughs> so I am going to elect to put Richarlison on the left-hand side at winger. Um, now I will explain kind of my, my ideology behind it after I go through my entire front three. All right. All right. At striker, I'm assuming you can guess I'm going to go with Jank Tosin and on the right, I'm going to go for a spicy pick and choose Adam Lookman. So here's kind of my reasoning. Um, Richarlison's not cutting it up top. There's no way, you know, there's no way to, to dispute that. Um, and when Jank Tosin came on as a sub a couple of matches ago, I think we just looked so much better. We were able to mm-hmm. retain the ball better in the, in the final third. Um, he's able to connect with teammates pretty well. Um, Richarlison is strong on the left-hand side. Now, I did knock Bernard out, but that's because after his match against Crystal or not Crystal Palace, um, what was what was the fantastic match he had when he came in? Uh, Lester, Lester. There you go, Lester. Um, after that, you know, he struggled against Crystal Palace. He struggled against um, Man U. So, you know, the the fantastic part about the squad that we have now and the direction we're moving in is, if you have two ba- two poor matches. Um, specifically if you're a part of that front three, then your spot is not safe. So I'm going to move for Charleston on the left, Jank Tosin up top. Um, you could shout for Calvert-Lewin, but, um, you know, I think that Jank Tosin may be able to find some form. Uh, the experience, I think, as we kind of talked about with Coleman, should help him kind of kick on. And then on the right, Adam O'Lookman, I think the entire fan base can agree that Walcott's not cutting it for like a month now. So... You know, you could argue Bernard there, but I think Lookman also should get a chance. 
against Brightman. He's looked Brighton. He's looked pretty bright. Um, oh man. Oh, you know he's looked. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't even realize it until you called that me. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, he's he's been pretty bright, and so I think um, it could be a pretty good play. Now I know he's usually a fit. He usually likes to play on the left hand side, right? He can cut in with his right foot, but um, I'm gonna plug him in on the right hand side. So James, what do you what do you have to say? For, what do you have to say? It's funny because I pretty much 100% agree with you, but oh. I, it's it's hard because I do think that Bernard has struggled um, and Richarlison certainly benefits the qualities that he has, his pace and his ability to dribble the ball benefits us much more when he is on the wing. And I think as we've been then the theme of the show, that Brighton is not going to come in and look to possess the ball and do a lot of stuff where we'll be on the counterattack. So we need a big target man up front to play. And I'm going to say Calvert-Lewin gets the start. Um, over that's my one Over Cenk Tosin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the returns, the goals, he scores goals. You just can't dispute it. And it's funny because that's kind of the thing that he's criti- been criticized most for uh, in his Everton career is that he doesn't have that clinical finishing. But it seems like whenever he comes on as a sub, he is able to find a goal. Um, and so... I think his ability in the air is really important. And I think his relationship with Adam Lookman as well could bode very well. Their experience playing together for the England you know, on youth teams. Um, so to have him, that partnership, and then Richarlison dangerous, posing a huge threat down the right, uh, I really do think Lookman is going to be huge. Uh, if he can play the way he's... Sh- the way we know, every Everton fan knows that he's capable of playing... Um, because of what he offers cutting inside his dribbling ability, the wall cut doesn't really just, he just doesn't have it. He has his pace. He can't really do any tricks. His change of direction isn't fantastic. His control of the ball hasn't looked very good this season. Uh, and he hasn't taken his chances the last few games. So I think Lookman has done enough to earn us a place. His attitude has been a 180 from what we saw at the start of the season. And so uh, that's my front three. We're going to go Richarlison. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Adam Lookman, and I think we could score at least three goals. At least. So that that was my next question for you. What are you going to call? What are you going to predict? Predict the scoreline will be um, on Saturday. It's funny because we were way way wrong about the menu, um, <laughs> but I am a little bit over optimistic last week. But I'm continuing with the optimism. The quality of opponent being significantly lower. I'm going to stick with, I'm going to say three to one because I think they'll probably just get a headed goal or probably a stupid penalty awarded, frankly, uh, just uh, knowing our luck um, or maybe something on the counterattack. But I do think that we have more than enough and we should batter them, frankly. All right. I'm, I think it's a pretty fair assessment. I'm going to go with two nil to Everton. Um, Clean sheet. Yes. Now, I do have one final question for you, James, before before we right. wrap it up. So I'm ready. Glenn Murray. Ugh. Whether we're talking about Kurt Zuma, Michael Keane, or Yerry Mina, which center back does he choose to bully and to post up on the most on Saturday? I think it's got to be Michael Keane. Uh, oh, man. You don't, th- I mean, it's hard. 
but I, I think he's, I think our center backs are going to make things really hard for him. We've seen it with, um, Mitrovic with Fulham, uh, didn't really get involved in the game at all. I think their ability because of the lack of pace, which is really the downfall of all of our center backs because they're, we have yet to see Yeri Mina, so I won't speak in well, specifics Zuma's on him. Quite quick. Zoom is quick for a center back. Uh, but like that's what's given us the biggest problems is is them, you know, opponents counterattacking, coming at us with pace. I don't think that Glenn Murray's going to bully Michael Keane necessarily or Kurt Zuma. Uh I think maybe something in the air but again they've looked very strong so i i just don't see any way that that they can beat us and if they beat us it's going to be because we lost the game and not because they actually earned the win yeah i think i think that's fair like like i said um i i you know what i i think i agree with you if if he has to pick one right because if you pay really close attention to 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 forwards when they play they always kind of seem to pick a center back and I think that uh, I think that he's going to pick Michael Keane, and that's because Kurt Zuma is super, super strong. Um, a lot of people have have a lot of players have mentioned how strong he is. You can kind of tell in certain instances he just really bullies players off the ball. You don't see it as much with Michael Keane, so I'll agree with you there. Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, either way, hopefully one of our one of our um, predictions come true and we can uh and we can uh win the match yeah i'll definitely take the win i don't care how it comes if we get the win on a on a you know bs penalty then i'm okay with that too thanks so much for tuning into the american toffee podcast it is available on all major platforms please make sure you rate review and subscribe that would help us out a ton and follow us on twitter as well at usa toffee pod until next time Come on, you blues.